Welcome to our podcast, Doing It Right. This podcast reveals authentic stories from successful leaders doing it right. It's about their journey to become a leader, their choices, motivations, and lessons. In essence, how they built successful personal brands. Your host is Valerie Sokolowski, author of eight leadership books and nationally known as an authority on executive presence and personal branding. Let's get started. Here's Valerie. often wondered as I have been in the passenger seat flying to different business meetings and so forth I've often wondered what it, what's going on behind the scenes about the air traffic controllers I've wondered what it's like to be in that position in the tower talking to the pilots well someone here one of my guests described that as being the wizard behind the curtain and so that wizard is the person who has our safety in their hands, guiding the pilot and the planes to make sure that it's safe travel in the air. I just thought it would be fascinating to have two air controllers on the show to talk about what the wizard is like behind the certain the curtain. So without any further ado, I want to introduce my two guests today. First, Chrissy, I'll talk about you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And you are president, young president, of the Women in Aviation North Texas chapter. Yes. That's, that's quite a title. It really <laughs> is, and well-deserved. And you're a licensed private pilot at the age of 17. 17. 17. Did you hear that? At the age of 17, a licensed private pilot, which I'm going to ask her more about because I thought that was fascinating too. And currently FAA air traffic control specialist at the Fort Worth Center and working on her master's in aviation safety from Emory-Riddle Aeronautical, easy to say, university. And on top of that, She's a great writer. I read her articles that she blogs on, and as an author, I told her this morning, you really, you really are a good writer. Thank you, Valerie. So many talents, wow. <laughs> We're gonna delve into that. And then I'd like to also welcome Nick, Nick Daniels. Thank you for being here. Thank you for the opportunity. <laughs> it's it's uh, great to have you as former Marine. Thank you for your service first. Absolutely, my honor and um, lots that go with that and how that brought you to what you're doing today, which we'll learn. Right now, air traffic control specialist and currently the president of NATCA, that is Air Traffic Controllers Association at Fort Worth Center, and the vice president of the regional NATCA. So both of you have very prestigious titles and are professionals with such a deep understanding of the aviation industry. Um, I want to start with a quick little video clip that I saw of something that happened in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And Nick, you were involved in that. So let's watch. And this right here is why their job is so important. A road-turned-runway. The pilot forced to land with his wife and young child. He says his family made it out alive thanks to the person on the other end of the line. Jobin Panniker reports. No, I don't think that one works. Memories are made in times together. 
For the Morrisons, it was an extended weekend in snow-capped Colorado. We went up there and went snow skiing with some other friends. They flew there in a personal plane. This is Riley. She was, she was in the back seat. But this trip was memorable in a way nobody wishes. It was like I reached up and turned the ignition switch off. An hour from landing back in Dallas and seconds after this picture was taken, the engine shuts off at 8,500 feet. And so I heard mayday, mayday, mayday. I was like, okay, all right, so this is serious, okay. Mayday, 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 uh. Cameron got his license to fly two years ago. During this, his demeanor, calm, but admits his mind was in chaos. You know, I'm kind of having a meltdown, but he, he came back very calm. He's talking about the calming air traffic controller on the other end of the line. Number 500, Papa, Fable, turn five degrees right. Showing the airport still to one o'clock and about one zero miles. So, Nick, you were there. You were a part of that. Tell us what happened and the good ending. Well, you know, when we go to work as air traffic controllers, we're up for any moment of any day for whatever occurs, and we have to be ready and prepared at all times. On that given day, one of our amazing air traffic controllers at Fort Worth Center, um, we, we, when you're sitting there and you're running your routine traffic, all of a sudden you will hear a call of either mayday, 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 mm. or pan, 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 declaring some type of emergency. And uh, we focus, obviously, all of our attention directly to that while still trying to make sure we run a safe and efficient operation for everyone else that's in the sky. Mm. Everyone else doesn't go away. The controller on duty that day um, received that call and knew the pilot was in distress and immediately began searching for nearby airports and eventually where the aircraft had to land on a freeway. Um, we alerted the authorities, ensured that you know we could get people out there to the rescue in a quick and expeditious manner. And all, the entire time, you would never know that uh, the controller was handling an emergency. He was calm. He was cool. He was collective. He relied on his training that you know is extensive that we go through continuously. But really, behind it all, I think any air traffic controller that you would ask, they're going to just tell you, "I was just doing my job. That's what I do. That's." The work, um, whether it's saving a family or um, there, there was literally yesterday a, a pilot with smoke in the cockpit that mm. could have ended up in a life and death scenario. And the controllers collectively worked as a team, ensured that aircraft safe landing. Everybody walked away and you pack up and you go home after the day and you come back ready for more. How often, <clears throat> how often does something like this happen? The Mayday calls. They actually happen more routine than, than people would uh, think really? uh, with our with our general aviation aircraft, especially mm. due to the, the you know in, in the North Texas area, you're dealing with weather scenarios that create you know very uh, significant pockets of you know times that they can't see or they can't maneuver or they get trapped. Sure. Um, we're helping them with that, but also a lot of what you would uh, call medical emergencies, people on an actual airplane that are in distress, um, heart attacks or, or um, different elements, and we actually then handle that aircraft separately uh, and, and give them priority over all the other airplanes. So it can uh, be from anything equipment, me mechanical, all the way to personal and, and just to the passenger on the airplane. And we handle at least several a day between uh, the amount of controllers that are just in our building alone, but across the entire system. Uh, that, that happens on a uh, on a regular basis, but with all the safety uh, you know uh, nets in place, it mm -hmm. makes it where. Um, you don't hear about that every day, and it, it kind of becomes part of the job and making sure that um, we, we are equipped to handle each and every one of those. 
That's why I wanted you on the show, because I, I had no idea, I still don't, you haven't told us yet, what it's like. So, Chrissy, what is it like? You get up every uh, morning and go to work at the center in Fort Worth. Um, what are you doing? Um, so most days you go in and you work traffic and you make sure that the airplanes don't hit each other. That's number one. Um, you provide them services um, as to get them to their destination faster or more efficiently, route them around weather. Um, my particular airspace, we do have a lot of emergencies with military aircraft that oh. will over-G or lose pressurization or they come out of maintenance and something's not quite right. Um, so we make sure that different IFR um, instrument airplanes on a flight plan don't fly through the military operations areas or restricted airspace mm-hmm. um, and then we just make sure everyone's safe and has everything that they need and, uh, we, we like to tell everybody it, we it comes down to we do six things now it, people quite often think that leaving the airport and depart the runway once to depart the runway we're just in the air and we're headed straight for JFK like that's where we're going um, every part of that flight is controlled by us by uh, the six things being how high or how low, which, which direction you're heading left or right, and how fast or how slow. Mm. Those are the six ways I have to tell you to get to every place in the country, and we control every aspect of that flight. Um, there are very few aircraft in the system that we don't talk to that are out there just flying on their own under you know, visual flight, which we call visual flight rules, uh-huh. where they're just seeing and being seen more your very general aviation, recreational type pilots. Everyone else in that system is getting direct guidance from some air traffic controller in some type of airspace, and then we apply our rules uniformly over that entire system. That's so clear. Thank you for making it so simple. <laughs> now I can understand. So both of you, what is the training like? Chrissy, you and I had lunch before uh, the show, and I was fascinated at how difficult it is to get the training. So what did you go through in the training? Um, So I had about three and a half years of on-the-job training. Uh, First was four months in Oklahoma City that everyone goes to, um, where Hmm. you learn the basic rules of air traffic control, all the different aspects of aviation that you need to do your job successfully, um, and then you're put through rigorous testing to make sure that you are able to be taught is what I like to describe (laughs) it as Um, and then if you pass that training um, there's about a 40% washout rate at Oklahoma City really Um, so that's where they make sure that if you're not quite qualified you uh, you don't go to a facility what Um, is excuse me for interrupting mm -hmm. but what does that look like if I mean someone that signs up and is in the middle of the training and then someone says you're not going to be doing this how do they decide that um, there's grading criteria and evaluations that are done continuously and constantly at the Oklahoma City Academy that uh, people attend. I see. And as you pass those, you have to you know, build certain grades and scores okay. uh, and score in different scenarios. And if you don't achieve a, a certain test score over the course of, you know, of it or you can't get to a passing grade, mm-hmm. then you're removed from the program okay. and, uh, and then you're passed. Makes up. sense. Okay, go ahead. Um, and then you do three years of on-the-job training. You start with drawing your airspace, which takes a couple months um, because you need to know every single fix and point in your airspace where all of your approach controls are. Um, mm. And then you go to the lab. We have a simulator that we go to for a few weeks and learn all the different aspects of our job. And then you go to the actual floor and you're working live traffic. Um, with a trainer plugged in with you and it's um, sort of like a learning a trade it's mm-hmm. passed from one controller down to the next um, and you have a team of controllers that work on your training team and teach you everything that they know 
until they think that you're ready to be certified on that position. Once you get certified on the position, then you have to work a certain number of hours, um, both before you can continue on training and then every month thereafter. That's a lot of training. It is. It, it uh, you know it varies from different facilities. Mm -hmm. um, some of some facilities just are a tower, a standalone tower at you know some more just general aviation airports. Mm -hmm. um, those can be anywhere from six months to a year. You have larger facilities that it'll take in the upwards of three years. Um, and that that again doesn't talk about all the time that it took to get hired yes. to go through the Oklahoma City Academy. That's just arriving. So we we quite often tell you know. Um, congressional representatives when we go speak to them or you know in educating just the public on our profession that uh, you can hire as many people as you want today to help fill in because we're in a 31 year low in staffing right now for air traffic is that right yes it, but if you hired 5,000 people to fill the 5,000 slots that are needed right now if that was the number I still don't get those 5,000 people for approximately three years they're not usable to the point of where Chrissy and I mm -hmm. are on a daily basis um, as an air traffic controller for that long. Well, that just segues right into something that I found fascinating when you told me as president of uh, Women in Aviation that nationally and in our city of Dallas, there is something called Girls in Aviation. Tell us about that. Yes, so I have a passion for aviation. I'm a private pilot. I've been around aviation my whole life, um, and I, I really love it, and I want to tell more girls hey, you can come out, you can become an air traffic controller. These jobs are out there for you. Let me tell you more about it. Um, so we host, it'll be September 21st this year at the Frontiers of Flight Museum. They've graciously let us use their space again this year. Um, and it will be upwards of 3,000 kids coming and wow. learning all about um, different careers in aviation. Everything from um, how to become an air traffic controller. We'll have Nick there with NACA telling them all the different pathways to become a controller. We'll have um, people in the maintenance field breaking apart engines and showing them how to put them back together. Um, we have, I think we actually have someone from NASA coming again this year. Really? Yes, oh. um, and we have uh, keynote speaker Tammy Jo Schultz of Southwest Airlines. If you remember, she was the one that had the engine oh. fly off the airplane. Yes. Um, so she will be coming and talking. She's now a motivational speaker, so she'll be telling the girls all about how they can get into this career, and it is achievable. Um, and the U.S. Air Force is also bringing in three aircraft for our static display outside, which we're really I excited wanna come. about. I want to come. Please stop by. That's awesome. How old are the girls? What's the age bracket? Um, so our activities are designed for 8 to 16, but we have everyone from 4 to 18 come. Um, usually 15 and above come and volunteer, and they seem to get a lot out of the actual volunteering process as well. They get to meet a lot of really cool people. So, and I couldn't do it without my army of volunteers. So if you're volunteering for Girls in Aviation Day, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> That's a big thank you right there in front of everyone. Chrissy, I read uh, one of your blogs. You write for the uh, online magazine or blog post. What do you want to yeah. call that? Um, so I just call myself a freelancer. Whoever wants to hear my story or have me write something, I do. Um, I've written for Air and Space Magazine, Disciples of Flight, and Contrails Magazine are like probably the top three. Um, so Disciples of Flight was really nice because they gave me creative freedom to do whatever I wanted to do. So I did 
um, I was able to write about my story in aviation and how I got involved. That's what I want you to tell them because, first of all, <clears throat> as I said, you're a really good writer. I, <clears throat> excuse me, I read that and uh, it was like uh, I was just with you. I mean, I was in your skin as you were talking about from the minute you were uh, 11. Yes. So take a step by step. I think it's fascinating. You do love aviation. I do. Um, so my dad decided to become a pilot when I was about 10 or 11 years old. Um, and it was the first time I had ever seen my dad so engrossed into something. And I was like, hey, whatever he's doing must be really cool. Um, so he went and got his private and commercial and multi-engine ratings. And we would go fly on the weekends. That was just normal. Some people took road trips. We would hop in the plane and go to Martha's Vineyard for lunch. Um, and it was just normal. We did a lot of animal rescue flights where we would pick up dogs from shelters that were overpopulated and help bring them to shelters that had a demand for more dogs. Um, and so it kind of brought like both the airplane and the dogs together for me. And I was like, this is really cool. We should do this more. Um, so when I turned 15, my dad got me flight lessons. Um, and then when I was 16, I actually soloed, which is one of the craziest moments of my life. Um, I can't I imagine. was actually not old enough yet to drive a car by myself. So my mom <laughs> would bring me to the airport, and then I would take the plane up and solo, like, to the next state over, because you have to do um, a certain number of miles for each flight to get qualified for your private pilot certificate. Um, and then I got my private pilot's license, and I was like, hey, those people in the tower seem really cool. I want to know more about that. Um, and that's how I kind of got researching into air traffic control and was able to go to Embry-Riddle and get my bachelor's in air traffic management. What a story. Isn't that interesting <laughs> at 11 years old? You know, not everyone knows what they want to do, sometimes way into adulthood. <laughs> and and I have to 11. say thank you to my parents. They were very encouraging as to whatever I wanted to do, let's uh -huh. make this happen. Let's make the sacrifices we need to to get you your flight lessons and get you up in the air and flying. Um, and I know a lot of parents don't know that these opportunities are out there for both boys and girls. Mm -hmm. um, so to have encouraging parents that said, you want to do this? Okay, you study, we'll make it happen, was very, very awesome. And here you are today. Well, I feel so much safer knowing the two of you. So I'm curious about you. You were in the Marines. Yes. How did you get into this path? So my story is almost opposite of Chrissy's. <laughs> and that's the beautiful thing about our profession and our career and the ways you stumble upon it. Um, as I was going through, I was in college. Uh, I really had no idea and had uh, no direction. I was a computer science major, and I had no idea what that meant. Uh, <laughs> you know, going through it in 1997. Uh, so I decided to. Uh, my brother, uh, you know, God love him for. He went in the, in the Marine Corps, and he came home, and I said, "What happened to him? Like, like he's a different guy." And it really made me look, and I decided to go into look in the Marine Corps. I took the test and see what I was kind of eligible for, what my scores were. And, I, you know, Marine Corps doesn't guarantee you a job. They, they will give you, an, you know, a group of jobs. And one of the ones was aviation. And I asked my dad, I said, and my dad was a, a Fort Worth police officer for over 30 years. Uh, and I said, Dad, do you know what an air traffic controller is? And he's like, I think that you're sitting up in a tower and talking to you. <laughs> I see, he goes, I think that would be a good job when you get out. If, if you end up getting out of the Marine Corps, I said, all right, yeah, I'm going to do that. And I had no idea what it was. I really had no idea about aviation. And uh, I went in the Marine Corps, and sure enough, I was selected for air traffic control. Went to uh, we, we go through a similar class in the Marine Corps as what the 
um, same type of Oklahoma City classes for the FAA. Okay. You go through mm-hmm. requirements and training to see if you can pass um, this initial qualifications, and it lasted approximately three months. And uh, from about class one and moment one, I realized this was the, the job I loved. Like, everything about it made sense. I absolutely um, was just wanted to, you know, kind of put myself in, in the, you know, every facet of it that I could to learn about it. So I progressed through there. I was certified in the Marine Corps. You get certified just like an air traffic controller in the FAA. You hold uh, certifications and ratings are held to many of the same requirements um, that they are there. And I went to, I controlled at Camp Pendleton, California uh, Air Station Mm -hmm. and uh, went on several deployments, which, you know, air traffic control in the middle of a field in the Marine Corps is slightly different, but you're still utilizing a lot of the same rules. And then when I, I uh, unfortunately was injured in the Marine Corps, I mm-hmm. separated uh, after five years of active duty. Um, never planned on getting out and uh, luckily applied for the FAA and I was hired and picked up. So I didn't have to go to the academy uh-huh. at, at, at Oklahoma City. I went straight to Addison Tower in Dallas, Texas. Mm-hmm. So smaller ge- general aviation, very busy general aviation airport. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it learned, you know, there, it was starting with, you know, now in this path through the FAA, I worked there for a few years and then put in paperwork and was moved over and transferred to Fort Worth Center where I've been since 2005 and really just kind of cut my teeth in everything in that facility because a center environment is much different than a terminal environment. Those are two different environments you can be an air traffic controller in. Um, and they both have, you know, very unique opportunities, very, uh, you know, different um ways that you you can progress through the system whether you like to travel a lot or you just want to find a place to stay Mm -hmm. and that's really uh that's ended up how i ended up in in the seat i am today and and, you know through my roles with the union is really what have elevated me to be um, a part of getting to speak on our behalf and do things like supporting girls in aviation Mm -hmm. day and the women in aviation movement um from from that to speaking about our profession itself you um it's interesting, isn't it, when you go back into any of our backgrounds and how we came to be what we are and how that happened. And sometimes it's like you say, it. I didn't What's know, that? and you said, I do know. So isn't that interesting? <laughs> I want to know if someone is interested in watching this and thinking, well, maybe that's a career I'd like. What kind of a person is, makes a really good air traffic controller? We're all about the same person. Uh, um, it's a type A personality with a high IQ um, and you know somebody that's w- willing to work hard and wants to learn. Uh, the, there's so many things about the job I tell a lot of people, especially I, told, I was speaking earlier at the Girls in Aviation Day, I ask all the girls that come up to, to the table that, do you like telling people what to do? <laughs> if you do, this is a job for you. Because that's, that's what we do. We tell people what to do and they have to listen. So if that kind of, uh, if that role interests you, and uh, like I said, you, you learn how to deal with the stresses and the, the pressures. Um, but it's somebody who also who loves to make decisions and make them quickly you and got to. To move on. And that's, that's our job is to make hundreds of decisions and moments notices, you know, make them and continue to evaluate it. And you learn all those things through all the training program that Chrissy was um, referring to there. And anyone that, that fits that bill or thinks they fit, fit that bill, there's an opportunity for them to bid on that job. Well, other than other than going to women and <laughs> girls in aviation, how would someone look into it? So usajobs.com or the fa.gov are the two main ways. The fa.gov, you go on there and one of the tabs is how to become an air traffic controller. Oh, okay. So you click on how to become an air traffic controller and they uh, routinely put out different bids. 
One will be for off the street, no experience at all. No experience required, just some background in, in a work history. That's good. And you can apply that way. So that comes out usually once to twice a year, um, just depending on what the FAA's hiring goals are at that time. Another uh, method is if you have a previous experience, maybe you controlled um, in the military, maybe you controlled in um, you know some airports that are called federal contract towers that aren't FAA controlled, but they're uh, mm -hmm. done by contracts. If you have 52 weeks of air traffic experience, you can apply that way. They'll put out a bid for that. And the other one is for actual military veteran air traffic controllers. They'll put out a bid Lots for that. Of if you have that. So if you fit any of those three realms, which everybody does in some way, if you have some kind of a work pass, uh, we have all those people working in our facility that come from each of those backgrounds today. Plus being intellectually uh, superior <laughs> and um, type A and loving to tell people what to do. I think that's hilarious. I tell everybody that if I can do it, I know that they can do it because I wasn't, you know, I didn't go through school and, and breeze by it all and everything else like that. It just honestly takes a, a, some hard work and, and a love for the job. And it does sound like I, I have to assume that every traffic controller loves what they do just like you were it just reeks out of you and that's great what a what a neat thing to have a position that you can't wait to get up out of bed and get to do what you do that's a real blessing it absolutely is. my husband so i was thinking about this he has his private license as well and um he told me there are three things that are so memorable to him and i'm going to ask you what those three things are when you went through the air traffic controller he said um he said, well, the first time you sit in the plane, when you're first instructed, he had no idea that you would be in the left seat from the beginning. That was his first comment. So unexpected. Uh, then he said that first landing, that the perfect landing, and he related it, I thought this was interesting, he related to the sweet spot in, the gol in golf for those golfers, that time when you, you know you've done it and you've done it well. And then the solo, when you got to do it. You, get the, you, get, you just get out there and you just do it. So I'm just curious really quickly, does anything come to mind when you were learning all of this that are those memorable things? Yeah, for me, um, the first time that I was certified on an R side, so the radar position, mm -hmm. um, I have my trainer plugged in on one side, my supervisor plugged in on the other. I was told I'm getting a skills check. They're going to be checking my skills. And then they gave the thumbs up to each other behind where I couldn't see. I was facing my scope. And uh, they both unplugged at the same time and said, congratulations, you're on your own. <gasps> And so that was the first time I was ever talking to the airplanes, talking to the pilots in the planes uh, by myself. So I would equate that to the first solo. That's cool. That would be a good feeling, wouldn't it? Yes. What about you? I think that's usually the pinnacle moment for everybody. I, I, working in several different facilities, um, when you know the very first time that somebody tells you, you've pretty much been given the license to do it by yourself, and, mm -hmm. and you can talk to these planes on your own, and you realize everybody's this is in my hands yeah. there's no there's no All other safety nets but we are the great thing is that you know that you have a team yeah. and an entire group behind you to support you in any and all occasions um, from dealing with that emergency that we watched at the beginning to running your routine traffic mm -hmm. because uh, what's amazing about air traffic controllers is they take the extraordinary and make it look ordinary mm -hmm. and um, well, that that's truly the, the the beauty behind the job 
Uh, Nick and uh, Chrissy, I have a question for you. Um, it's not going to be a hard one, I promise. Um, so when you're driving a car, you're looking at the traffic signs on the road. Um, can you give us a little bit of a kind of like, you know, a hint of what people could, if I would want to start flying a plane, what kind of traffic signs are there out there for people? What are the things that people <laughs> need to look out for? Well, the main thing is, um, instead of just left and right and front and back, you add the third dimension. So you add up and down as well, which is a little bit different. Yeah, I would say, um, as far as it goes, one of the things is you start really realizing, uh, as an air traffic controller, just even driving on a road, your depth perceptions and distances you're holding from other cars, and you you start becoming a lot more, uh, you know, Oh, I know I can fit in that, that gap over there because we're putting <laughs> aircraft in, in, you know, small windows all day, every day. And so that's one of the things that you can start looking for. Are you good at that judging that, that distance over there? If you're good at judging that distance yeah. or if you're, you can't judge distance at all, you may want to rethink it a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> that would definitely be uh, a way to go about it. That's great, Anna. Thanks for that. Well, I always ask my guests to leave us with what I call teachable points of view, meaning those those lessons that you've learned that in any industry our, less, our listeners can say those were some good salient points. So what would either of you say might be some lessons learned? Um, I would say if you want to do something, go out and do it. <laughs> I wouldn't Just become an air traffic controller unless I decided that that's what I wanted to do and I went out and went on the path to achieving that. I'd Good. say for me, um, you know, being a, a union advocate, an advocate for people about being a volunteer and it's a volunteer army that goes out and uh, really embraces everybody and seeing how for the collective can we do better? What, what can we achieve as a whole? And, and I guess I'd leave people with the idea of, you know, Paying it for is that's what I, I think we do well from air traffic controllers is you learn, you teach, you pass it on. We really look out for each other overall. Mm -hmm. Air traffic control is the ultimate team sport. It really is. You, you we go. cannot we cannot do it individually, and we has to all be done together. Yeah. So if you embrace those ideas, you embrace those concepts. It really will you know it kind of elevates you and takes you to that next level of being able to um, work together and lead overall. Mm -hmm. Great points. Works with any industry, any job. Thank you so much. This was so fascinating. I learned so much. And now I'm going to get on the airplane when I go to my next uh, opportunity and sit feeling even more safe. Right, Anna? Yep. I, I'm, I'm now looking and thinking, all right, uh, my perception of flying has completely changed, so I'm really excited to just be on a plane, which I'll actually be very soon. <laughs> You'll feel good when you're going overseas now in a couple of yes, weeks, right? Back to your country. So uh, this has been fascinating. And one more time, Chrissy, tell us about the Women in Aviation Girls' Day and where they can take a look. Um, you can sign up for Girls in Aviation Day on our website, WAI ntx.org um, or find us on Facebook Women in Aviation North Texas Chapter um, and you can even find us on Eventbrite if you can't find us on oh. either of those two places um, and just register for your tickets it's 100% free and we're looking forward to having you at our event September 21st free alright how can you beat that thank you so much I learned so much I hope you did too and I want to thank Betty Reddick 
for the beautiful blouse that I'm wearing today, and their shop is at the Plaza Preston Center, Preston Center Plaza. Stop by, they've got beautiful clothes. And for now, if you haven't subscribed, would you please do that? Make comments. You know, a lot of the conversation af after the show is really interesting to go back and read. So just because you're listening now, Go back, make comments, ask questions, whatever you want to do. Until next time, stay authentic and live your brand. Bye for now. Thanks for listening. To receive Valerie's voice, free monthly leadership tips, and to learn more about her leadership programs and coaching, visit her website, ValerieAndCompany.com. Next week, we'll be here again to inspire, engage, and equip you with teachable points of view from successful leaders who have been doing it right. Until then, lead authentically.